Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. find yourself being reeled back in because you've gone way too far. You can't even help yourself. You're beyond help. Only by God's grace is he able to rescue you, and he does, because he loves you. But know that that is the truth of your heart and mine apart from Christ. That's what we will always do. So diligently teach them to your children. Always find an opportunity to bring the Lord into the conversation. Always. And you know, this exhortation that he gives us here is necessary because the Lord ultimately knew that the children of Israel would not be obedient, that they would serve gods of the nations they were going to possess. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in chapter 6 of the book of Deuteronomy. Even though God reminds the nation of Israel over and over to be obedient, they continue to drift from His will. God knew this, and that's why in this section, He gives instructions on being diligent in teaching our children about Him and His love for us. God reminds us that when we are outside of His will, bad things can happen. However, Pastor Rob teaches us that it is God's faithfulness that will rescue us from ourselves. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. So now in verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Notice, in your heart, not on the outside, but in the heart. God is interested in your heart. His design was never for it to be external. Always internally, always internally. So don't try to fool anybody. Don't try to fool your friends, your family, your pastor, your friends, whoever it may be. Just be real. Can't we be, can't we be real? Let's just be real about ourselves. Be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, do you know that the Lord can see right through you? He can see right through me. He knows exactly my motivations. And here's the cool thing, folks, is he, he's not mad at you. Even on your worst day, even when you're filled, your mind and your heart is filled with sin and awful things, he still loves you. So if that is the truth, then doesn't that disarm you? Doesn't that just make you want to hand everything over to him and say, Lord, take all of this stuff, this ick, I give it to you. Will you take it? He's like, yes, I will. That's why I died. That's why I died on the cross for you, Rob. My plan for you is so much better than you could ever imagine. It's always been better. And yet you've made choices throughout your life, thwarting my attempts to bring you into the place that I have for you. But instead you went your own way, and you went off on your little meandering trail, and I got you way out in Egypt, and finally I had to rescue you. And I didn't do it out of grudgingly. I did it out of my love for you. To me, that's a God that you want to serve and completely give yourself over to, because that's his heart. 
Verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Notice that word diligently. That means intensively. You shall teach them intensively. The idea is to pierce, to pierce. Have you ever had such a, a desire to impart something? You just you, you wanted to infuse it into somebody. And, and I find that true with myself, with my own daughter. It's unfortunate, and we all know this if you have kids. There's something about you wanting to share the truth and the love of God and the things that you have learned to them. And unfortunately, isn't this the truth, that we try so hard, and yet it just doesn't seem to happen that often. It's almost like they have to learn it themselves. They have to go through the process of messing up and then falling into sin and then, and then getting into this thing so deep that they're crying out for help. It just seems to be the way. It doesn't have to be that way, but we're just so stubborn as humans. Because of this old nature that we have within us, we think we can do better. We think we can do it without getting caught. And so we run with that. We get the hook in our mouth and we run, and the God, God's got this great big spool of 150-pound test line, and it's just a big, that is if you're 150 pounds. <laughs> He's got this spool of, te- of, of line, and you're running, and you're running, and running, and pretty soon, <laughs> you find yourself being reeled back in because you've gone way too far. You can't even help yourself. You're beyond help. Only by God's grace is he able to rescue you, and he does because he loves you. But know that that is the truth of your heart and mine apart from Christ. That's what we will always do. So diligently teach them to your children. Always find an opportunity to bring the Lord into the conversation. Always. And you know, this exhortation that he gives us here is necessary because the Lord ultimately knew that the children of Israel would not be obedient, that they would serve gods of the nations they were going to possess. In fact, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. This is after... Moses has passed from the scene. Joshua is now getting to be an old man, and he's about ready to check out. And the land has been divided. But notice what it says in Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. And we're going to read down through verse 28. It says, Now therefore, uh, Joshua speaking, Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve Jehovah, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites. Those were those um, gods on the the eastern side of the, the Jordan there that they first came into, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. And notice the people. And we've seen this before, and this is unfortunately true of, of humankind, unfortunately. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us our, and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land, we also will serve the Lord. We will also will serve Jehovah, for he is our Elohim. He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. Well, that's an encouraging statement. 
You can't serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Of course, we know that that's not necessarily true, but what, what he's getting at is you, you folks are bent on evil. You need to confess. You need to repent. He says, if, notice the conditional statement, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. There's conditional statements. Those are the scary ones when we have something to do with it. God makes um, unconditional statements where he says, I'm going to do this no matter what. And there are other situations, other times where he says, if you do this, then I will do this. Those are if-then statements. I love those, although they are more scary because it requires obedience on my end. But notice he goes on in verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. See, they don't even know their own hearts. And it's true of us. I don't even know my own heart. I get put in situations, circumstances, and I respond. I say certain things that I'm shocked of. (laughs) And I go, Lord, I never thought I would do that. And he goes, well, I knew it was there all the time. You just needed the right circumstance to bring it out. And it's true. I find it over and over again true in my own life. Verse 22, he says, So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen Jehovah for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. We believe it. Now, therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you. He knew that what they were doing, and they knew what they were doing. And incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, Here it is, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And I don't doubt their sincerity. They just lack the power. They lack the will. And under certain circumstances, they just cave too quickly. Listen, when the heat gets brought up in your life, no matter what it is, do not cave in. As the child of God, you now have the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in you to resist sin. You don't have to be beaten over the head like a club any longer. The very power of God is inside of you. No longer do you need to walk around defeated, a defeated Christian. Regardless of what the sin is, God is able are you willing to let him? Are you willing to fight the fight? Are, have you, are you willing to resist it under blood if necessary? You know, Jesus, when he was in, the, in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The intensity of the temptation was so great, his blood vessels began to burst, and he began to sweat blood. Have you ever been under pressure to sin? Some sins are easy to resist, and there are others that are really difficult. I think of people who are involved in alcohol and drugs and sexual addiction. Those, to me, are the, probably the most difficult because they're bodily appetites that want to be satisfied. And until they are, boy, it's a war. It is a war. And you find yourself sometimes hanging on by a thread, going, God, if you don't inter- intervene in my life right now, I'm going to fall and cave into this thing again. So many people are sitting there with the needle and the tourniquet wrapped around their arm in Rochester right now as we speak here. They're sitting in some tunnel and they got that thing wrapped around their arm and they're about ready to inject heroin. And the temptation is there. Notice verse 31. I'm sorry, let's, let's go on here. So Joshua, verse 25, we're in Joshua 24. He says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law 
of God. And he took a large stone and he set it there under the oak, which was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. And it shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now look at verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now turn with me to Judges chapter 2, because this is one of the worst things you can read in all the Bible. And this is why it's so important to teach your sons and your daughters these things. That's why it's important to read to your sons and your daughters, to teach them. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. We just read that verse, didn't we? In verse 31. And then he says, verse 8, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of the inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. That is a horrible thing. Because what happened is that generation wasn't faithful in sharing. And folks, we live in that time. There are people, young people, living right now who don't know the gospel. They've never heard the name Jesus. They certainly never heard the gospel. And it's really important that we take this, just as the exhortation was in the the very beginning when we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he says, you and your sons and your grandsons, teach them these things. Don't be slack and, and, and lay off and not do those things. It's, it's so important to do these things, to teach them. You know, there's an article by Britt Beamer and Ken Ham. It's, and actually, I've got the article on my iPad. Um, if you want to, I'm going to read a portion of it to you tonight because it has some statistics that will alarm you and it will sober you. And perhaps you've heard them before, but if you want afterwards, I can just airdrop this. If you have an iPhone or something like that, just come up and turn your air thing on, and I'll just start clicking these buttons, and each one of you will get it. But here's the thing. It's, it's called Already Gone is the name of the article. And it was on October 20th of 2011. It was also featured again in May 6, 2017. But let me read this to you because it's pretty sobering. In regard to the verse we just looked at, and this thing, this verse in, in, in Joshua, or I'm sorry, Judges chapter 2, which is very hard to read, he said, Respected pollster George Barna was one of the first to put numbers to the epidemic, the ep- epidemic of the kids growing up without any knowledge of the Lord and walking away from the Lord. Based on interviews with 22,000 adults and over 2,000 teenagers and 25 separate surveys, Barna unquestionably quantified the seriousness of the situation. Six out of ten 20-somethings who were involved in church during their teen years are already gone. Already gone. Despite strong levels of spiritual activity during the teen years, most 20-somethings disengage from active participation in the Christian faith during their young adult years and often beyond that. Consider these findings, and here there's some of the statistics. And these aren't so bad. This is actually um, somewhat good, sort of. Nearly 50% of teens in the United States regularly attend church-related services or activities. More than three-quarters talk about their faith with their friends. Three out of five teens attend at least one youth 
group meeting at a church during a typical three-month period, and one-third of teenagers participate in Christian clubs at schools. And then the article goes on, and it says, the Barner research is showing that religious activity in the teen years does not translate into spiritual commitment as individuals move into their 20s and in their 30s. In our own research, he says, which you are about to discover will illuminate you with reasons as to why this occurs. He says, most of them are pulling away from church. They're spending less time alone studying their Bibles. They're giving very little financially to Christian causes and causing to volunteer for church and, and ceasing, I'm sorry, to volunteer for church activities and are turning their backs on Christian media such as magazines, radio, and televisions. What does this look like numerically for today's 20-somethings? And here's a few other statistics, and then we'll move on. He says 61% of today's young adults who are regularly church attendees are now spiritually disengaged, 61%. And that may be even a small number. I think that number could be even larger. They are not actively attending church, praying, and reading their Bibles. 20% of those who are spiritually active during high school are maintaining a similar, similar level of commitment. 19% of teens were never reached by the Christian community, and they are still disconnected from the church or any other Christian activities. And see, folks, that is kind of what's happening. And that's what Moses, Moses is warning them against. If you don't tell them, if you don't go after them, there's going to come up a generation that doesn't know God. And where will the church be? It breaks my heart, I'll be honest with you. And we need to go after them. We need to go after them. We need to love on them. We need to tell them the truth. We need to speak their language. We need to get involved in their lives. There's some young people in this church that we've got to get more involved in. We've got to reach out to them. We've got to tell them that, people, that God loves them, and we love you, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And let's grow together. Teens. 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50s, 60s, 70-somethings, 80-somethings. What a healthy thing it is to see a number of different people in the same room together, worshiping Jesus together, learning the same Word of God. And we can do it. We can do it. But we need to pray. It's not just going to happen by osmosis. We have to pray. And so... I want to invite you to our prayer meetings here on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. We, have, we meet in a cafe, and I would love to see our numbers grow so much to where we'd have to move into the fellowship hall. And I'm not knocking the people that come. I'm so glad they're there. And it's always the same group. But I'd love to see it if you guys would come out. Will you search your heart and say, God, why? what excuse do I have not to come? There's always excuses. I find one of my sweetest times is in prayer that, and on Tuesday nights because it's one of the few times where I'm actually quiet, really quiet in the evening. And I can just sit, I can just listen, and I can pray, I can open my Bible. It's a sweet time. Would you join us? And on Sunday mornings, you know, we have this prayer room right opposite this door over here. And it's always the same three or four people that come in. Always the same three or four. And yet, prayer is the thing that's supposed to be the central thing, and yet we've cut it out of our lives, and it's no longer necessary because we don't believe it. We don't believe that prayer is necessary. Folks, we have to return to our moorings, get our moorings back. We need to get back into prayer. 
We need to understand that, you know, God can do anything, but he'll rarely do anything without prayer, without his people praying. Are we desperate? Let me tell you, there may come a time in our country when everything starts to collapse. Then where are you going to be? Where are we going to be? And I say that with a broken heart. Because there's many Christians that if the, if the foundation of this country starts eroding, which it is, where are you going to be when it all falls apart? Whenever that is. I don't know when it is. It could be next year. It could be a couple months from now. I don't know. But you know what? The crash of the 30s sent people jumping out of windows in New York City because they had no hope. And I wonder how many of them were Christians because they totally lost their first love. They had no relationship any longer. On autopilot, no longer really considering the things of God anymore, so used to just hearing and not doing and and giving and not doing. And yet God wants to get a hold of us again. Will you let him get a hold of you again and shake you up? I want him to do it to me. Status quo is not an option any longer. We need this. In verse 8, back in Deuteronomy 6, he says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You know, some Jews take this literally. They'll put phylacteries on their arms. And remember being in, uh, on a plane on LL, actually going from Philadelphia to Tel Aviv. And um, as we approached, as we were going over the Atlantic, and as we approached Tel Aviv, in the back of the plane, the Orthodox Jews would all gather back there. And it was an interesting thing to experience because they'd all be back there. And at a certain time during prayer, because they were already thinking, they put their clocks ahead. And during the prayer times, they were already putting this, going through this ritual. And it was really interesting to see. And it was cool to see that they had that much devotion. But unfortunately, many of them, it was just external. And God wants to get into their internal, right? And that's the difference. But there they are, wrapping the things that are around their wrists, and they're going through this whole thing, and they're really glad if you watch them do it, too, because it encourages them. And they, they do this, and then they put this little box on their forehead, and they'll tie it around their head and stuff like that. And so they were doing this physically when God was just saying, let everything in your eyes and your mind, let that be governed by the Word of God. Let the things that you do, instead of, it's not necessary to wrap them on your hands. These are, these are similes. It's, it's as to do this. You know, he says, he says, And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Don't literally set the box on your head. I mean, if it works, then praise the Lord. If that's what you need to do. If osmosis works good for you, then stick it on your forehead. Just don't stare at it. Otherwise, you're going to go cross-eyed. Right? But it's more, get it into your heart and into your mind. But don't just let it set here. Let it get down. So, in Exodus 13, actually, we're going to skip these two verses. But this, this verse right here, it, it goes all the way back to verse 5, which is Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what the, you know, when he says putting them on your, on your frontlets of your eyes, you know, your mind. What's going on up here? What are you filling your head with? Or to put them as uh, on your arms, you know, your, your strength, your hands. What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your life? And then in verse 9, he says, And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, there's this really interesting thing that um, we actually have one in our house, and we're not even Jewish, but it's called a mezuzah. And you can see um, this uh, picture of it here next. This is what a mezuzah looks like, and it's just a little uh, silver thing, or it can be gold. It can be a, a different designs. But inside this little thing that people put on, the Jewish people put on their doorposts, 
inside there will be a little piece of paper and it will have this verse typed in Hebrew or written in Hebrew and maybe a couple other scriptures, but at least it usually incorporates this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been... Truth in Christ.